Hello and welcome to Research Roundup brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley and each month we'll be looking at what's new in cancer in primary care research and I'll be talking to authors of recent publications and presentations. Today we're speaking with Dr. Carolina Lissy, who is a Senior Research Fellow at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre and the Australian Cancer Survivorship Centre. Carolina recently published Sharing Cancer Survivorship Care Between Oncology and Primary Care Providers, a qualitative study of healthcare professionals' experiences, and it was published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine. Welcome, Carolina. Hi, Christy. Thank you for having me. So to start off today, could you take us through the aim of your project, along with what type of healthcare professionals were involved? Yeah, sure. So this study aimed to investigate the experiences of healthcare professionals with shared survivorship care. So for those who don't know what shared care is, it's a model of follow-up care where Rather than all follow-up being done in hospital by oncology providers, some follow-up is done in hospital and some is done in primary care with a patient's GP. And for the study, the types of healthcare providers that we included were, of course, GPs, um, also oncologists, nurses, care coordinators, so really the people that were responsible for providing or coordinating a patient's care. And we also included research and project staff. And we included these people recognising that shared care is not standard, it's not the standard model of care, uh, and a lot of people's experiences of shared care would occur via their involvement in research studies or projects. And we really wanted for this study people with direct experience of shared care to talk about that experience rather than just getting people's opinions on it. So yeah, that's, that's who we included. And was it a national sample of healthcare professionals that you involved in this study? No, actually, it wasn't. All of our participants were in Victoria. And I would say that we did this for practical reasons. So first, the only two randomised controlled trials of a formal shared care arrangement compared to usual care have actually been done or are ongoing in Victoria. So the first one, I'm sure you know, Christy, is the ProCare trial of shared care for prostate cancer survivors led by Professor John Emery. And the second one is led by Professor Michael Jefford, and that's the ongoing RCT looking at shared care for colorectal cancer survivors called SCORE. So we wanted to capture participants who had been involved in both of those trials, and they just happened to both be done in Victoria. And secondly, the Victorian government has also invested quite a bit in alternative models of care via the Victorian Cancer Survivorship Program, or the VCSP. And a number of funded projects within that program looked at implementation of shared care. So we also wanted to talk with people who had been involved in that program and in those projects too. So really a lot of work has been done in Victoria around shared care. And from the point of view of the methods of the study, we wanted it to be a focus group study as we wanted to explore some of those commonalities or differences in people's experiences and opinions of shared care. And that only really works you know, when people are physically located in the same space. So it just made sense to recruit people from our networks in Victoria. Moving on to the results, the first thing that you discuss in your paper is around considerations for healthcare providers. That section kind of contained a bit of insight around the barriers to GP engagement in shared care. Could you elaborate on those elements that you identified within this theme? Yeah, so we repeatedly heard from our participants that getting GPs engaged in shared care was one of the biggest barriers uh, that they experienced when trying to deliver a shared care model. 
And people also spoke about a number of strategies that they used to engage GPs with shared care. So one of these was to hold information sessions. So like I think some people would hold an event in the evening. It was like an education session that GPs could attend. But people talked about these as being a bit hit and miss. So some people said it worked really well. Others said not so much. And I guess like when you think about GPs practically, like they're generalists and they don't, they see a lot of different patients who have a lot of different issues. And of these, a small minority might be cancer survivors. So cancer survivorship is not really something that they would necessarily regularly engage in. So holding a session like that for a busy GP, uh, it might not be well attended. So I can kind of understand that. Something that people did talk about, which was more successful in engaging GPs, was relationship building. So more of a one-on-one relationship building with GPs. And that could be through people, so GPs having access to hospital staff and having a personal contact phone number or email address with one or more providers and a treatment team. It could mean that GPs are included in case conferences or MDMs, um, sorry, I should say, multidisciplinary meetings, or GPs might be involved in a patient's care right from the beginning, so right from diagnosis onwards. Within the context of our study, as I said, some of the participants came from studies specifically looking at shared care, and in those situations, GPs were typically supported with a range of resources, such as a referral letter from the oncologist that might include information about a patient's history, so a diagnostic summary, a treatment summary, and also including contact details for hospital providers, uh, maybe a survivorship care plan that has guidelines and a follow-up schedule outlining what needs to be done and when, information on long-term and late effects and how to manage some of these common concerns that people might experience, so things like that. So GPs within the context of research studies tended to be quite well supported. Uh, They understood what their role was in survivorship care and had clear guidance on what they needed to do and when. And importantly, they had communication channels back to the hospital if they needed them. So these sorts of things tended to work really well to engage GPs in survivorship care. They felt that they were included in the team. Uh, And I remember one GP that participated in a focus group actually saying that instead of shared care, they thought it should be called team care, which I think really reinforces that idea. I haven't heard that before. I like it, team care. Yeah, I really liked it too. It really stuck out to me. Uh, What other themes emerged in your results? So a lot. So it was quite a a complex and involved study, but I'll talk mostly um, given that this is a PC4 podcast about primary care related themes. So still on GPs, one thing that really stood out to me in addition to what I just said was that our results found that participants didn't really support the need for more training for GPs in order for them to be able to provide survivorship care. In fact, I would say some people sort of had the converse view on that, that requiring GPs to undergo uh, more formal training or attend courses might act as a barrier to them wanting to get involved. So rather than training, it emerged that supporting GPs with the resources that I just listed before, so having clear guidelines and contact details, a survivorship care plan, and so having these sorts of resources should provide the GP with all the information they need uh, without them having to go and, and do more training. So in the real world, I think there is no consistency with how survivors are handled when they go back to their GP. And GPs, I understand, often don't even get a letter or a diagnostic or treatment summary from the hospital. So they're really in the dark regarding the patient that might be sitting in front of them and they haven't been part of their, their journey 
from, you know, they might have seen them prior to diagnosis and then they see them at the end. So that's a real big problem. There was also the idea that not all patients would be suitable for shared care, which fed into the idea of GP training as well, with one person saying something like, if the care that a patient needs is so complex that the GP needs to go and have all this additional training, then perhaps that patient isn't suitable for shared care. So that that kind of stuck out to me as well. So some patients may be more complex in terms of their the diagnosis that they had or the treatment that they received, their ongoing side effects or other risk factors, and maybe these patients shouldn't be having their follow-up in primary care. One last thing that came up that I think might be of interest is a patient's relationship with their GP was also important, and it was important to establish this early. So the suggestion was to ask a patient pretty early on in their treatment who their GP is, and it's important that a patient has a GP that they know and trust, and including that GP early on where a patient knows that their oncology team is talking with their GP and they're being cared for by people who are on the same page, I think that's a big plus for patients. And do you feel that these results are similar to those that have already come up or been published before about shared care? Yes, so there was some similarity between our findings and other work. So I will also plug that we did a systematic review on facilitators and barriers to shared cancer care that was published earlier this year. And we did see some familiar themes coming out of our qualitative study compared to what the review found. So similarities included some of the things that I've already talked about. So patient-provider relationships, the importance of having clear guidelines for follow-up to support shared care, how important it is to have good communication between primary care and the hospital. Of course, being people overworked and not having enough time also came up, which links to the idea of needing strong support from admin staff and also up-to-date IT systems in place, which would help you know, maintain patient records and manage appointments. So a lot of these practical things have come up before and were certainly present in our study. But in terms of some of the differences, so there were a few interesting ones. So the main one that comes up to my mind is around GP training, which I've already talked about a bit. But a lot of the existing literature that looked at this and and certainly in our systematic review suggested that GPs lack confidence to provide cancer care and require training to take part. And that data has come from a range of perspectives, including oncologists, patients and GPs themselves. So it's not unanimous, but there is certainly a leaning towards GPs needing more training in the literature. So what our study suggests is that supporting GPs for inclusion in a cancer care team, including them early and giving them the information that they need, may be more useful to support a GP and increase their confidence if that's what they need, rather than mandating that GPs go off and have all this extra training. So that's one important difference that we identified. And one more is that our study also delved into implementation and evaluation of shared care a bit more, which I think was somewhat lacking or limited in the literature. So we looked at what you need to do to design a shared care model and things that came up were using co-design, so where you include all relevant parties, be they GPs or hospital staff or patients in the design of the model to make sure that it is responsive to the needs of everyone and also acceptable to everyone. And also the idea that you need to be flexible came up. So if something isn't working, you need to be flexible to be able to adapt and change what you're doing. And part of that is around collecting data to understand if what you're doing is working. So 
That could be outcome data or health service usage data, but also just simple feedback from people to let you evaluate what's working um, for people, what's not, and how you might improve your model. So you touched there briefly on that idea of wider implementation or planning for a shared care model and design. I'm interested in your thoughts on how we can help take shared care, or maybe I should start calling it team care, to the next step. I often feel like people talk about models of shared care and they're piloted, but they struggle to progress towards wider implementation. What are your thoughts around how we can do this? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think this is a really tricky area. So as you said, efforts around shared care are a bit all over the place with one person doing this at this hospital and another person doing that. And that definitely came up in our study and has come up in the literature before this idea of fragmentation and everyone's sort of doing their own thing. I I would think that anyone who works in this space is aware of it. And I'm sure that clinicians and people working more in care delivery versus a researcher like me would have greater insights into what is needed. But yeah, it's a massive problem. But I think this is where policymakers need to come in and provide more of a top-down approach to say this is what needs to happen rather than the bottom-up approach, which is what has been happening and is not getting real cut through. So I think we need greater awareness that primary care and shared care is the way to go. And we need people working together to create some sort of national agenda or or national standard of care. So we know that um, at single sites, the role of having a clinical champion is really important at implementing shared care in, in one site. And you need that leadership to get it off the ground, to engage and motivate people and to keep it going. But what is often the case is that when that one person leaves or that one person changes their role, It's a real threat to sustainability of shared care and that shared care can kind of fall over. So I think having these isolated pockets of people working on it in different places doesn't really work, hasn't really worked, and I don't think it will until we start to harmonise across different settings. So it's it's really hard, but I think we need more leadership. Uh, We need more people getting on board and greater recognition that primary care has a really important role in cancer survivorship. And certainly from policymakers, some consistent policy to back it up. I think there were some great statements and I think it takes a little bit of the wind out of my sails for the last question actually, which is always around the take-home message of your study and what do you really want our listeners to take away from this interview today about your research and where you're going to go from here? What are the next steps? Okay, um, yeah, thank you. So I think... Takeaways, there's the, this, it was a big paper, so there's a lot in there, but I think the main takeaway that I would like people to think about is um, we did this study because we really want to support shared care being adopted and implemented more widely. I always start off when I write a paper kind of on this or give a presentation with some facts that are always the same, and I think a lot of people in survivorship do the same thing, and that is that we know that more and more people are living longer with and after a cancer diagnosis and the number of cancer survivors is growing. We know that while a lot of people live well after cancer treatment, that, that a substantial number of people will experience issues, be they physical or psychological or practical, and that many people also have comorbid illness. And we know that people have unmet needs for help across all of these areas. So We know that the care that we're providing currently is falling short. So we need to shift the model of care and primary care just makes sense. So evidence shows us that people who receive follow-up care with their GP often prefer it. They're, you know, more satisfied with shared care than, than usual care. It's more convenient for them. It's cheaper for the healthcare system, which is great. 
and it addresses more of their survivorship needs beyond you know surveillance so it's a way to provide more holistic care and achieve better outcomes for people which is the whole point so we hope that this study provides a bit of guidance on the way forward so i would like to say that in combination with this study and, and the systematic review that we did that I talked about, we have generated a more comprehensive set of guidance than what is published in the, the present paper. And people can access that if they want to on the Australian Cancer Survivorship Centre website. So I would encourage people to go in there and have a look if they're interested beyond reading the paper. But really, we think shared care is, is important and we hope that our study contributes a bit towards um, broader implementation. Thanks, Carolina. There's some really salient points. We can also put the resources that you've developed up. We'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, no worries. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for downloading Research Roundup produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Please let us know what you think about this episode by emailing us at info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter where you'll find us at PC4TG and there's also our website which is pc4tg.com.au.